Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Dr. Henry G., the senior editor of Nature Magazine. Henry, when do you think uh, during the course of the 4.6 billion years of planet Earth did the dinosaurs really start appearing, the big ones? Uh, They appeared uh, towards the end of the Triassic period, which is kind of about 200 million years ago. Um, But they uh, originated more by, like most things, more by luck and taking their chances. Uh, They didn't appear suddenly sweeping all before them. Uh, back in back then, there were lots and lots of animals a bit like dinosaurs. They were kind of crocodile-like, and some of them got up on their hind legs and, and ran about. And that was how dinosaurs started. They started on the, their hind legs. But for a while, they were just one group of lots of other similar things. They were a, a bit like the, the kind of second violins in the orchestra, sitting quite happily behind the star soloists. But as time went by and other animals became extinct, they came gradually uh, to the to the fore um, until at the end of the Triassic, when there was a wave of extinctions, they kind of inherited the Earth and they 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 stayed there for another 160 million years. And when the asteroid hit in the Yucatan, killing the dinosaurs, what happened? How did they all die? Can you kind of describe what the planet was like then? Well, the planet was. Uh, was was a, a very warm uh, jungly place uh, there was some uh, the continents were they had been in a great big supercontinent called Pangaea that was uh, beginning to rift apart um, but the dinosaurs were in their heyday uh, and they could have just kept carrying on really until the asteroid hit now the asteroid like all overnight sensations it took uh, a, a lot of toil in obscurity before it happened. The dinosaur's card, card was marked 100 million years earlier by some collisions between asteroids and outer space. You know we were talking about planets hitting each other. Well, it still kind of happens in a small way. There were some asteroids uh, walloping into each other in, in deep space, and they created a magazine of, uh, of about a 1,000 uh, missiles whizzing into the early solar system. 65 million years ago, one streaked into the atmosphere uh, low at an angle from the northeast at 20,000 kilometers a second, and uh, it, it, it penetrated the entire crust uh, of the Earth in, in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, and it, it created a tsunami that uh, washed over the entire um, uh, North American region, and uh, it uh, blasted large parts of that Earth into space. It created uh, a, a fog of, uh, of dust and gas in the atmosphere that shielded the sun for years and years, wow. um, and wildfires that swept over the whole Earth. Um, and uh, that did for all the dinosaurs, but also quite a lot of other animals too. There were some great marine reptiles, the plesiosaurs, the mosasaurs, they all died. All those fantastic airplane-sized pterosaurs were blown out of the sky, um, and uh, there was acid rain and uh, volcanoes and really uh, quite a lot of Armageddon. Um, so uh, it was just one of those bad days at the office. Were there some survivors from that asteroid? 
Oh, yes, there were quite a few. I mean, the, the animals that we all uh, have today, uh, turtles, crocodiles, birds, most mammals, and of course we're mammals, and it was because the dinosaurs became extinct that the mammals could, uh, could come into their own. There'd been, always been mammals living alongside the dinosaurs, our ancestors, but we were a small little mousy, uh, ratty things living at night in the little forgotten interstices of the world, um, keeping well out of the way of the dinosaurs. Um, but for 160 million years, the mammals became specialists at living at night. This is why uh, birds, who are the inheritors of the dinosaurs, have fantastic eyesight but not much good senses of smell, whereas mammals who live at night uh, are not very good with their eyes but brilliant at hearing and smell mm. because we all come from nocturnal ancestors uh, that scurried around at night. Uh, the, the mammals did try to break out from under the yoke of the dinosaurs several times. There were occasionally mammals the size of opossums and badgers, but it wasn't until the dinosaurs died out that mammals could really grow, and you get, you get animals the size of rhinos and elephants, and eventually human beings. Other than the size of an elephant, why didn't we get the big dinosaurs again? How come they didn't come back? Well, uh, dinosaurs uh, were... You, when you think of dinosaurs, you've got to think of these enormous dinosaurs like you know, Brachiosaurus and Brontosaurus. And Tyrannosaurus uh, and all those. Yeah, yeah. all these things as, as huge, uh, not as huge lumbering lizards, but as gigantic flightless birds. Uh, it's a strange way to think about them. But they've got the same skeleton of birds, the same tight aerodynamic airframe, the hollow bones. Many of them had feathers. And they were actually air-cooled. They were full of air because uh, birds and dinosaurs don't have simple lungs like us. Their lungs extend into air sacs that go throughout the body. This is why when you lift up a great big chicken, it's not as heavy as you think because it's full of air, like your Thanksgiving or Christmas turkey. They're basically full of air. And because they were air-cooled, that means they could grow uh, very fast and very big without boiling themselves from the inside out. And also, they always laid eggs. So when they reproduced, they could just lay a lot of eggs and forget about it. They didn't nurture their young inside like mammals do, and that limits mammalian growth. Uh, so uh, now the inheritors of the dinosaurs were birds, who were, who were, which were flyers, and the best flyers were always small. Mm -hmm. So this is why right. most birds are small, and a few birds became very big, but they were flightless. The pterodactyls, what happened to them? Well, the pterodactyls were kind of cousins of the dinosaurs, uh, and they were kind of similar. They were a kind of, you'd imagine they were kind of cross between birds and bats. Uh, their wings were like webs of skin, but they were fluffy. Uh, they were, um, their bodies were covered in a kind of fur. Um, but they didn't survive the, the great extinction. When pterodactyls started, they were quite small, fluffy, flappy things like small birds. But as they evolved, they became bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and so they didn't flap. They soared like albatrosses. And some of these, at the end of the, the Cretaceous period, near the asteroid, they were so big that actually many of them didn't fly at all. They stayed on the ground, lumbering around like great mobile tents, 
And if you could see them, they would have been able to look at a giraffe eye to eye. They were huge things, um, but they didn't fly much at all near the end. I remember Jurassic Park, the movie, and the uh, velociraptors running all over the place. Were they really that kind of a carnivorous, mean-type dinosaur? Oh, yes, they were. I, m- I remember going to see the, the premiere of that film with my wife in, in a uh, movie theater in, in, in London, and we were sitting in the front row, and we were absolutely terrified of what a film that was at the time. Uh, well, velociraptors were actually much smaller than the ones in the film. They were about the size of a chicken. Uh, but later on, scientists discovered a, a much larger kind in Utah, Utah raptor, and that was very much the size of the velociraptors in Jurassic Park. But of course, now we see that they were covered in feathers, so they were like extremely fierce chickens with teeth. Um, and uh, so apart from the, the feathers, uh, yeah, they were like that. They were fierce. They were intelligent. They would have hunted in packs. So I think they would have been every bit as clever as the the dinosaurs you see in the movies. Hollywood depicted cavemen living among dinosaurs because I remember scenes where they were fighting off Tyrannosauruses and Baronosauruses and things like that. Is that just Hollywood? Yeah, that's just Hollywood, especially Raquel Welch with her fur lingerie in a million years. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, that's just that's just that's just Hollywood fun. Uh, I'm afraid, but however, um, early humans did live in a world with lots of incredibly uh, strange, huge uh, creatures that have vanished. I mean, you think of saber-toothed cats, mm-hmm. you think of m- mammoths and mastodons, and in the in the Americas there were giant ground sloths. Uh, there were there were armadillos the size of cars. Uh, there were a lot of very large, very weird animals. I have a friend, Tony Stewart, who's written a fantastic book called Vanished Giants. It's all about the the, the, the weird creatures of the of the of the Ice Age where humans were evolving that have all now gone. Uh, not dinosaurs, but a lot of other big weird creatures. Henry, what did humans do? Those who lived in caves at night to prevent some carnivorous, carnivorous uh, animal from coming in and attacking them? Uh, two things. Uh, fire, uh, which humans kind of tamed before we were human. Uh, about three quarters of a million years ago, uh, people found the secret of, of taming, taming fire. And the other thing, much more recently, uh, when we think of inventions and technology and the wheel and fire and, and things like that mm-hmm. the earliest the earliest um product of human technology is the domestic dog uh humans domesticated wolves maybe 40,000 years ago and uh they started off as as uh, animals that would haunt the halt uh, sorry would haunt my teeth are getting in the way. They, they would haunt <laughs> the fringes of camps and look after scraps. But dogs and humans are very similar. They're pack-hunting, intelligent, social creatures. So humans and dogs kind of domesticated each other. So, uh, it, uh, so our, our, you know, man's best friend was there to warn us of danger coming along um, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. Henry, why is this planet... So incredible. I mean, look at all the different kinds of species of life that are on this planet. There, there must be thousands of different kinds of animals and reptiles and fish and insects. I mean, it's amazing. 
Yeah, well, you remember we were talking about Jurassic Park. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum's character says, life always finds a way. Uh, and that's true. Whenever there is a, a little niche to occupy, some creature would evolve to, to live in it. Uh, it's as if life has been on a management training course and comes back and says, there are no difficulties and problems. There are only challenges and opportunities. So when uh, life was in the sea and the land was completely bare, um, creatures found a way to live on land, which to them was like colonizing empty space. Uh, and uh, so whenever there is a kind of niche, uh, a little opportunity to colonize, uh, uh, life will find a way. Now, my friend Stu Kaufman, who's uh, one of the cleverest people I know, he's got the brain the size of a planet, he's come <laughs> up with a definition of life. And that, uh, look, that means it's, life is a system that is always making more space for itself to live in. And as it makes more space, it makes more space for other creatures to live in. Um, so that's why life is always expanding and always finding new things to do and new places to live and new places to live, thrive and survive. Henry, what fascinates you the most about planet Earth? Oh, gosh, George, everything. I, I wouldn't know where to start. My brain is always fizzing with questions about, about life on Earth. Um, what I most excited about is the discovery of life on, on other planets um, because then we'd have some idea of why life happens in the universe because it can't be true that we're the only one. There are billions or maybe trillions of planets uh, in the universe and what we're discovering is that um, there's a huge variety of planets out there Lots of planets you could never even imagine, um, huge planets, tiny planets, planets living uh, very close to their stars, some far away, some planets just floating in empty space. And if life is so tough and it originates in planets uh, very early, I expect there's all kinds of incredible life that we can't even imagine outside, out in the universe. They say we, we live. Found yet. They say we live in the Goldilocks position in our solar system, not too close to the sun, not too far, and we've got an abundance of water and everything else, which is the primordial soup to get things going. I would assume, like you just said, that there are probably a lot of planets in the same position that we are. Uh, there are, but there is a, a, an assumption. It's a bit like the, uh, the, the, the you, sorry. There's an assumption that you just follow the water. To, to find life. Um, but it's possible that there are living things that are completely unimaginable that That's aren't true. necessarily based on water in any way that we can imagine. It just needs to be organized and self-reproducing. Might they um, not be carbon uh, life forms, but something else? No, I mean, I'm fascinated by an idea, and it's a, it's a pure science fiction idea, that you could have life forms made out of mag magnetic flux lines in the atmospheres of the sun. Or silicon. Yeah, well, or silicon, or just made out of um, uh, superheated plasma or silicon-based life. Or there could be, as people have imagined, life as giant balloons in the atmospheres of planets like Jupiter. But the, the, the latest thing is kind of based on water, but it's way out of the Goldilocks zone. Some of the satellites of the outer planets like Jupiter and Saturn are balls of ice, but underneath the ice are huge oceans of water. That's true. And uh, the, the idea is that 
there may be living things of a kind living under the ice. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.